Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 234. We are live at a giant internal hack event here at Microsoft. We talked to four teams about the projects they are working on. And we have everything from gRPC to headless robots, so don't miss it. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. Okay, we just sat down with Mary and Aaron. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? Good, good. Do you want to talk about your project? What are you working on this week? Yeah, so we're working on a project called Menu Matters. And the idea is to bridge the gap between like brick and mortar businesses and digital assets, Mm -hmm. specifically for accessibility in this case. Um, The boards behind the cashier at a restaurant are always the same size font, right? And that's big enough for most people, but we have a a aging population with Mm -hmm. the baby boomers and, you know, people are always going blind, right, on a daily basis. And so we, the low vision people and the blind people, have no way of knowing what a store is trying to sell us. And so we'll order what other people order. We'll order what we remember ordering in the past. But we never get to branch out to those new things because we don't know what's up there. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you know, they'll put a pamphlet in front of the register, but that's like 12-point font. And I'm using 30-point font on my monitor a lot of the time. And there's just no easy way. If I'm in line and I'm at the register and they don't have the pumpkin spice latte I ordered, I have to get on my phone or say, what do you suggest, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, if yeah. I get on my phone and I'm like Starbucks menu, it it can be anywhere on the on the application. You know, no restaurant does it the same way. And oftentimes, when you get there, it's a PDF anyway, or it's something that's illegible, right? Yeah. And so, what we want is for people to be able to open their phone and have it know where they are because we know their location and we know where Starbucks is. So we could probably guess that you're in Starbucks and give you the menu. No searching, no zooming, no anything. It's just this is what you can buy here, and that was kind of the idea. Well, I'm guessing the problem also isn't Starbucks because Starbucks has their own app. It's probably responsive to your your choices and settings. Right. I'm guessing the problem is the mom and pop coffee shop. Yeah. That, you know, they, they first of all, they don't have an app. And second of all, that you know, they've gotten that one menu done once and yeah. it's expensive for them to change it like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's often a PDF because it's the same thing they use for their menu when they printed it out for their tables. Right. Um, but it, when it comes to the app, we, we have a problem with consistency. You know, I can have the Starbucks app, but when I go to the next restaurant, say Chipotle, yeah. I need that app too. How many apps mm-hmm. should I have? And the experience is still going to be different in each one. So if I was blind, completely blind, I would have to relearn where everything was for every new restaurant I went and to. It, and it's hard to remember if you, let's just say every restaurant had an app. And you are a foodie that goes out all the time, you know, memorizing 52 pages of restaurant icons is going to be daunting. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So how, are, so, yeah, so how are you solving this problem? Like, you know the location, you know what restaurant you're in, but what do you do next? Right. So what we're doing is Mary's working on the front end, mm-hmm. which is a React Native app. Okay. And on load, it will grab your location using the browser um, 
And we're passing that off to a backend API. Okay. And we're saying, this is where I am. Tell me what restaurants are within, you know, X feet of me. And then if there's only one, we take you straight to that menu. Yeah. And what we're doing right now is we're talking to a service called Open Menu. And it's a very questionable, uh, <laughs> not free API that we tried uh-huh. to pay for. And we actually failed to pay for it and still got an API key. So it, <laughs> it, it is that shady at this point, right? And so we give that trying. the name of the restaurant and it yeah. gives us a menu. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea is here's a textual menu that you can zoom to whatever level you want. There's no whistles or bangs, right? No um, messed up syntax in the markup that's going to throw off your screen reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how sustainable that is because if you look at Uber Eats, you look at Grubhub, they don't have the menus. They're scraping it or something and it, it lags behind quite a bit and so one of the things we thought about doing for this project was come up with a standard way of supplying a menu but we thought that was too big for the two days right so we scaled it down to what you what you see today so how's it been working with react native mary every time i worked with react native i always forget how big the learning curve is (laughs) i think i've done it a couple times with a few engagements here and there but there's always been a big time span before picking it back up First couple of days, it's like setting up the dev environment is always ripping out your hair. But then once you get into it, it's just like, it's like riding a bike kind of like, okay. yeah. yeah. Would you would you recommend that as a, as a good path to go down? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, it, it like the benefits outweigh the cons kind of thing. So okay. I it sounds like it's a one-time it. hit. Exactly. The little bit of a learning curve and then. Yeah you're in that pro- productive zone again. Right, exactly. So it's been great. Yeah. Okay. And we kind of weighed React Native with Swift, and we, we thought React Native was closer to Microsoft in a way, but that's debatable. You know? <laughs> and you hear about React Native a lot, but if yeah. you go to the docs, it still looks like it's in its initial stages of, of growth. And I think that's part of why mm-hmm. it's so hard to get back into. You know? Yeah. I was actually wondering, you know, based on the, the, the menu stuff that you were talking about, I was wondering if, like, the Bing team would be a good team to say, like, hey, you're already indexing all these sites. Right. You probably know when it's a menu. Can you start indexing that for yeah. us? Yeah, and access? someone else on our team, Melanie, she actually binged like Chipotle's menu and they actually already index it out on right on the Bing like search page. Yeah. Okay. Just okay. saying like, this is a burrito bowl. This is what you can get in it. So. Yeah. So that could be really powerful yeah. because they're, that could be your, your source of data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if there were far more ideal ways of, of approaching this problem that yeah. we just didn't think of, mm-hmm. you know, but it seemed like a good project. Well, at, at least, the I mean, at least you're progressing the project forward. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's what it takes is you, you start to push it forward mm-hmm. and then you can just improve it, you know, as time goes on and get better data sure. sources. Yeah. So, Instead of the questionable site. <laughs> that is pretty hilarious, though. <laughs> I don't know if they're dead or if they're just starting. <laughs> it's hard to say at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, any business like that, it always amazes me how you, I mean, you have to start from zero. And, you know, like it's it's a useless service until you have like this this critical mass. Mm-hmm. So it's like, right. how do you get started? Yeah. Um, so I guess it's it's good that somebody's trying it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking, uh, it's some you know, like Bing or Google really has like all the infrastructure is already doing it so and google comes really close they've got the website yeah. there they've got the hours yeah. they don't have the menu yelp does the menu but it's often scraped and so you'll see yeah. weird artifacts within the text yeah. and the screen reader wouldn't pick that up too well well yeah. and actually now now i'm thinking the idea is worse because um the whole, the hours that google shows i have seen that be wrong probably 20 yeah. percent yeah. of the time you never know on a holiday like, yeah because that's in, which is when you're checking hours right yeah it's never on like a yeah, normal right. day <laughs> you know i'm checking sure. like what is there what are their hours and google's like it is cl- it is open until seven you show up at five <laughs> and they're not open but on holidays it's like this is a holiday 
YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Caveat. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to mention on your project? Uh, not really. I'm, I do think it's important that, that people, you know, notice that there are disabilities that are kind of in between, you know, mm-hmm. not fully blind, but can't see everything or yeah. not fully deaf. And, and we don't always strive to accommodate those people mm-hmm. um, because they don't fit that mold, right? But, but if, if we think about how people are, are consuming the data we're trying to give them and how they could run afoul or how it could go yeah. wrong, like we would, we would accomplish accommodating people like more readily, easily. Um, you know, yeah. I, I would say low vision people get short shrift and I know there are <laughs> other disabilities that get the same, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I'm colorblind and again, okay, yeah. you know, I, it's kind of the same deal, right? Like it's, you know, on the scale, you know, it's always on a scale and it's nowhere near. L- much lower know. priority. Yeah, yeah uh, of course, of mm. course. But then there's things that I see in a menu, I'll see like black and red and they'll look the same to me. Yeah. So it all just blends together sure. so I can appreciate it. But, you know, at the same time, it's obviously, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to compare the two, <laughs> but uh, I, I, no get where you're, I get where you're coming from. And even from, at the though. same time, like, you know, understanding those, those temporary ones where, uh, when you go to the eye doctor and you get your eyes dilated, there's like a good, you know, like four to six hours where if it's not, not just 30 font, but if it's not like 144 uh, size font, you're not, <laughs> you're not reading it at all. Yeah. 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 So it's good to push this forward. Is this uh, open source then? Is the, or is this closed? Currently source it's closed source, but okay. it's on the Microsoft org. And if, if we get it to a point where it can do something, we might open source it. I, I'm not sure what the deal is for the other projects or what they recommend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It'd be cool to, to see if there's other people that want to rally around. I'd the hate cause. to embarrass ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> this was very fast work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on here and talking about this. It's a cool project. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks. So we just sat down with Jackie Becker and Jerry Nixon, the... No, no. It's Jackie Becker. (laughs) Jackie Becker? What did I say? Oh, you did. I did it it right? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to mess it up. Anyway, we're just going to keep going. (laughs) Jerry keeps keeps messing with us on the the names. And if anybody remembers the That Conference episode from a few years ago, this fits right in continuously with that. So (laughs) I was your co-host. Yes. Perfect. So what are the two of you working on? <laughs> uh, right now, it's all about code. You know what? We're always working on upskilling. Are you upskilling right now, Jack? Yeah, I, I would say that every week of my life is a week of learning. So That's exactly. I, I just want to pause right there because, <laughs> no, because, you know, we're all Microsoft employees here. And that was a very Microsofty word. So upskilling is just, for those who don't know, the, the act of training. So, <laughs> or learning, or learning, or, or gaining or knowledge on a topic. Up your skill. Yes. Okay, so let's get more specific. So you're working with a robot. Yeah, we're working with a pepper. <laughs> it's the one you always see on like YouTube and stuff, doing yeah. all the funny dancing and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And we're trying to build it so that it interacts with people and in, uh, in a way that uses all the cognitive services inside Azure. So it's pretty cool. So I mean, it's the simple stuff. Like I say, simple. To us, it's simple. <laughs> but the basic sort of things you might expect, like recognizing somebody's face mm-hmm. or talking to them. But right now, we're adding a capability to make sure that Pepper, who right now we're assuming is a girl, so I'll say she, is because I had to pick a voice, you know. <laughs> and so now she's going to speak Italian. And we're, we're working on getting her hands up, you know, so she talks with her hands. And she actually says things with an Italian accent. And it's not a weird synthetic voice that sounds like a Cylon, you know, by your command, you know, none of that happens. Good reference. So you said that it has voice detection and it's going to carry on a conversation. So what is the, where's the face detection piece of this come in? What's the use case? 
So the UK use case here, um, the interesting thing is Pepper is very popular depending on the different region that you're in. So Pepper, there's a lot of units that are used in India mm-hmm. and Japan, Dubai, Dubai um, regions like that, even though it's not as popular in places like the United States currently. And the use case that we're looking at is mainly um, financial institutions. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is um, maybe... If somebody wants to um, come in, and they're let's say they're really important, like a VIP comes in, a VIP comes in, and they want to be told, "Hey, VIP, um, what meetings do you have today?" Having this robot who's able to direct them and take them to their meeting room or tell them where their meeting room is and have that handled right away um, right. is is a cool high tech experience that. Um, makes them feel like they're handled by a really high-end company instead of a lower-end company. Mm-hmm. So in com- in places like Dubai and Japan, this feels very high-tech and high-industry um, as opposed to feeling some places like Texas being handled by a <laughs> robot might feel low-end. Um, I was wondering what end. the contrast was going to be. <laughs> Texas. Gonna be tech. Texas. Yeah. Well, and, and it's exciting. I mean, how it's hard to make banks exciting. So... And another thing, like if I recognize you, Carl, and I'm mm-hmm. the robot, I can tell Jackie that you're here. And so she's the manager and she can hustle right out. And so it's a it's a nice experience because uh-huh, you get yeah. immediate interaction. You sl- it slows you down just a little bit, just in time for Jackie to step out and, you know, oh, Carl, hi, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. So what does Pepper do? Like if you didn't write any code or do anything, like what does Pepper do out of the box? Well, it's in the box. It, it does a really good Did you job. get out of the box or something? Well, you, Jackie has discovered that really without much effort, uh, Pepper's head comes right off. Yeah, um, there there is a handy button right near the base of the neck that looks like it could attach a panel, which would be handy for attaching Ethernet cables. Uh, but instead, it detaches the head. She's sitting there. She's holding her hand. It could be a very little shocking. bit of a quiver in her lip. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be fair, uh, that that pepper never worked again. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it is a bit of a um, mm-hmm. disorientating experience when you're holding a, another creature. You know how like you're holding the baby and hands. the head pops off. It's, yeah. a, it's like that. Yeah, so yeah if you have it's a baby, uh, just like that experience, fu- Jerry. Could you tell us more in detail about a time when you were holding the? baby's head in your hands uh, it's by itself? which one. So ah, I, I okay. <laughs> but no, diving more into that, I think it is interesting to see how different um, cultures treat robots differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing like the uses for robots and IoT technology um, and how it can like interact with our like day-to-day lives. And I think robots... Now wait, and- Jackie, this robot speaks Java. You, you speak Java, as it turns out, which is pretty handy. <laughs> that That's true. Yeah, yeah. And so even it, it can speak different languages, but you had to learn um, or maybe reorient yourself into Java. It's funny to have Microsoft write Java code at all. But that, here, here you are. It's been a hot, hot second since I've had to write in Java. <laughs> Microsoft is mainly C Sharp. That's, that's Although, true. Although that said, the project that I'm working on this week, we had people whose specialties were in four different languages that nobody else, like, there was zero overlap. So it was very interesting having a wide variety of talent at one table. What do you think is the best practice to try and bring everybody to a single language or to let everybody write in a multiple poly languages 
across the project. Well, the, the one thing that I think is really handy, especially when you use the cloud as the back end, is you can have your different components in the technology and the language choices that fit best. Mm. So if your team works best, you know, half of it in Java, half of it in, in Go, just do what your skill set and your talent already has. Yeah. I think Docker containers really make that cool, right? <laughs> Being you can able isolate things. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just like, you know, hey, my container has this API and uh, I'm not going to tell you what I wrote it in. It could be Java. It could be I'm whatever. not going to tell you. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I don't have to tell you, right? That's right. Just so give it an endpoint. I think I think the, that we're, we are finally in a time when like each person could write in their own language. Now, I think there's some maintainability questions I would worry yeah. about. Yeah. You know, the next I didn't person know if we were going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you wrote this in a Perl script. Okay. Like we don't have any other talent in that or. Or, I, I actually think Pepper is a pretty interesting example of that because Pepper's original code was written in Python. Good point. The original company, who okay. I think it was a German company, right? That I thought it was Japanese. Is it German? I didn't. It realize. was taken over by a Japanese company. Like so many things. <laughs> or it could have been reversed. Hard to say. But so <laughs> one company originally wrote the code for Pepper, and it was originally in Python. And the company that took it over was a different nationality, and they decided they wanted to maintain it with um, Android tablet and mm -hmm. java okay. and so rather than rewriting it they just decided to uh, basically paste the tablet onto the front yeah. of the robot and <laughs> control the robot with that um, and interface with the python code uh, with this java sdk and so oh, it's kind of like uh, a very physical representation of that process of having right. uh, programmers yeah, using exactly. yeah, the container is the tablet. Yeah. So, so how do you actually control the robot then and make it talk? Are there APIs that are being called? Like what's going on there? The, in, at least in this project, there's going to be several peppers okay. uh, that will be roaming around. And so they'll share an endpoint or they'll sh share a hub that's right there locally inside the building so that all the security can be done and marshaled between the robot and just that endpoint. And then all the secrets and everything else in order to talk to the back end can be there inside the hub as well. And so you can... You can do it a couple of ways. You can have all the logic inside the robot. So the robot asks a question to the the back end, gets the answer, and then does the response. Mm -hmm. Or the or Pepper just says what she sees or, or, or is projecting back through the endpoint what she sees, and then she receives the instructions on how to behave, what okay. she's supposed to say or what she's supposed to do. We do a little bit of a of a blend in this project right now where she kind of handles her own arm movements, but we pass her back the exact phrases that she's going to say back. Because when she sees you, she recognizes that you're from, you know, I don't know, England. So that's, you know, that squirrely British accent. Mm -hmm. And then recognize that Carl's from Italy and now she'll speak Italian to him. And so it's, that is all controlled by the back end because Pepper has no way of knowing. And certainly we don't want to just pile on all the languages into the, the little tablet that's there, which isn't a super high performance device. Okay. That's it's pretty, pretty neat. Cool. Yeah, pretty I, cool. I got to be honest. It's weird when it looks right at you. <laughs> yeah, because it does. I mean, it's just sitting yeah, yeah. there, and then all of a sudden, it turns its head, and it just looks you in the eye. I was gonna say because that that type of robot, right? Like that's kind of the one of the things it does, right? Like you you come near it, and it's just like, it and now it's you. like staring in your soul. Yeah, and you want to look at it respectfully because you know it's gonna be. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. And I, what's amazing, the arms are really amazing. How articulate they are. Like the finger, like it can really do amazing yeah. things. Like its legs obviously don't do anything. But it can really, it could do the Vulcan salute if you want to. And I mean, just a lot of cool power, including those awesome gestures for Italian. Yeah. 
I will say that first day I called it creepy a number of times because of it making this eye contact with me every time I walked it by it. Um, yeah. And this was right before I decapitated you. it. So <laughs> I feel I kind of sent a wrong message been to calling my me team. creepy for a while and I'm nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did that change the, the power dynamic in that relationship? <laughs> Once you it's just like, it. you know, I can pop your head off at any time. Yeah, Is I, there like jail rules? I think I really, the, I think I really yeah. demoralized it. Assert, I think that's why it stopped You asserted working. your dominance. When you, when you touch the tablet it looks down at you like yeah. like it's creepy it's like hey what are you doing i'd say creepy it's not creepy it's just it's actually pretty amazing i mean that's the way i would is have it more made it like hitting that uncanny valley i think it's yeah. trying not to hit the uncanny valley yeah, that's it why it's like look, weird yeah. and glossy it's like cartoonish yeah but at the same time but i think that moment when it looks right at you eyes, it is yeah. the uncanny so so in animation, like cartoon animation, it's when it starts to get too realistic. Yeah. But this is a robot, and it's not necessarily that the robot looks too realistic, but its actions are. Right. Oh, yeah. Great no, point. I, I yeah. think that you're absolutely right, Carl. I think that it, it, even though that they're trying to avoid it by not making it look too human, I think that actions maybe are a little too human. Mm -hmm. So they didn't quite hit that right balance, but... Or maybe they did. I, maybe that's what they were going for. I don't, maybe you know, maybe we're just both big very anime afraid of eyes. Because you, you were talking about eye contact, and I can imagine it being easy to like try to have like make that so it targets you and follows your face because that would be a little bit easier to program than try to have a little bit of you know variance like more human interactions. Yeah. You know, as I've done different travels, I found out different cultures do not like it when you have that direct gaze yeah, yeah, right. and others appreciate that more in a conversation. So, you know, having that understanding of culture, like you said, you know, being able to detect the that, robot should never that, me in the eye. that Jason is English or I'm Italian, um, can the help. Japanese, it could bow. And yeah. It, it can add hmm. those cultural changes to that too, then as well. That's a great point. I never actually thought about it like that. And it's funny because it sets expectations as well. When the robot looks right at you, you expect the microphone to be working. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's listening. And then, because we've been doing some testing, and he's looking right at it. It's looking right at, at, the, at our developer. And he's like saying, you know, a gesture command. And it doesn't hear. And it's like, that's probably even worse because it looks like it's paying attention now <laughs> versus if it just was looking at the floor. It's just like talking to Jerry. He looks at you and you, you say something and he's like, what? what? Are you talking to me? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm thinking about something else. Something like that. Something <laughs> like that. But you don't, yours isn't a, a robot project. I think ours may be the only robot project here. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So and who it's who not brought the robot over. then? You know what? It's all the way from Switzerland. Uh, our, oh, wow. The, the CSE team did, over did they have in to Europe buy a, brought it. A plane seat? Because <laughs> oh, it's big. The robot's pretty oh, big. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. The, the people who brought it were from Switzerland, but I think it's from the garage. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so they borrowed Yeah. Okay. I, we've got zillions of them, and, which is crazy. To say. The whole, we've got an army. We're just waiting for the day yeah. when we open the doors and let them out. Yep. And, uh, but until then, we use them one at a time. It's kind of like an iRobot. Remember, there was that, that room with all the robots. Well, Jerry, I wish you had told me that before I attacked one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, no, You're on the list. Yeah. It's collective shared memory, too, so oh, there's God. no way not to pull that back. That's right. Okay. Well, that's super cool. I mean, I think it's, I think it's neat to, to think about, though, how you can use the cloud to augment the, the local functionality and do that recognition and all that other stuff you know a lot of these cog services cognitive services can be pulled down in containers if you yep. want them to be totally offline as well uh, we're not doing that in this project but i, I mean it's inevitable that yeah. you would want that because you can't have well for one it's the latency because it's a little yeah. bit slower and then for another 
if I mean, there's just something beautiful about it being totally, you know, you can go inside a Faraday cage and still talk to a robot. You don't have to worry about, about the cloud doing that. Pretty yeah. powerful. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on here. It was really, uh, uh, really interesting. You're talking about uh, robots and I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. That's right. I'm all, <laughs> totally on board. I do as well. And Nobody. I apologize for <laughs> I apologize. our immediate introduction. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, will, they will absorb all the media in the future and they will hear this. So <laughs> good that you got that on record. So thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Raygun Crash Reporting provides automated monitoring software for your entire tech stack, giving you better visibility and code level diagnostics into the errors and crashes that affect your end users. Raygun is a more sophisticated alternative to logging errors. While logs provide you with an overwhelming stream of information, Raygun finds then groups errors based on root cause. The easy to use dashboard gives your team members a manageable list of bugs to fix in real time, ranked on frequency or by the number of users affected. Getting started takes minutes. Simply select the language and framework you wish to monitor and add Raygun into your code using one of their lightweight SDKs. So what are you waiting for? It's time to control the chaos around solving software bugs in your own application. Deliver better software experiences for your customers with Raygun. Visit raygun.com to find out more. Okay, we're sitting down with Peter and Sunit. They're working on a really cool gRPC uh, project. So maybe we should start with like, what is gRPC? Because I, you know, I told a lot of people about the project, and they're like, "What's gRPC?" <laughs> so uh, gRPC is a protocol uh, which was developed by Google, mm -hmm. and it's based on uh, HTTP two, uh, and then there is application layer on top of it. So it allows you to serialize your data in binary fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there are other features which are quite useful, like uh, streaming, for example. Okay. So Peter, basically, it, so I, I've sort of been describing it as like a replacement for remoting. Do you think that that's accurate or is that sort of inaccurate? I guess maybe it's a, a replacement these days for, for something like REST, right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think thinking of it as a replacement for remoting is probably fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it solves the same kind of need. So it's yeah. it's... Kind of sitting in between if you need a faster interface than REST, but yeah. perhaps a slower interface than just a straight TCP network. Right. But it still gives you strong, um, you know, it still allows you to define a contract and have strong messaging. Oh, yeah, have the same object types on, on both that's sides. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's a real important point is that it is cross-platform, right? So we can use this, you know, you can write one of your microservices in Golang and write another microservice in .NET right. and another one in TypeScript and be perfectly fine. Yeah. And, and what really made me notice gRPC was like .NET Core was like, hey, this is this is like you. This is what you should use going forward. Um, uh, you know, ba basically as a replacement for or, you know, because they removed remoting in .NET Core, or I should say they didn't put it in. But they're like, hey, you can use gRPC. Yeah, it's certainly getting more traction uh, in the industry. Uh, what we are seeing more, in fact, is uh, east-west traffic between the microservices or components on the server side. Mm -hmm. Uh, then uh, client to server in public internet uh, domain, if you like. So, right. so you still have uh, HTTP or HTTP2 uh, being used there, but uh, inside the uh, you know backend, for example, you see more gRPC services being used. Okay. And what have you been working on then with your project? So we are trying to uh, analyze and understand how gRPC performs in certain scenarios. So for us, it is. Uh, microservices which are interacting with each other uh, in AKS cluster as mm -hmm. containers. Uh, in particular, we are looking at uh, using a caching service from one of the message router service and see how we can optimize that uh, communication between these two uh, services. Okay. 
Very cool. So we're looking at the level of latency and the amount of throughput that we can get off of those services, and yeah. then we'll baseline that against a, just a REST implementation. Okay. Any results yet? Um, <laughs> but, well, we, we don't have the baseline comparison yet. Uh, we have okay. been able to show significant improvements in using gRPC if we parallelize the calls. So, yeah, I mean, we've been... We just, I think, were able to sustain somewhere around... 4,000 messages per second or so. Okay. So, and this with, is... With low latency, so yeah. around five to six milliseconds. Okay. Yeah, and we haven't looked at, you know, other aspects of performance like uh, disabling TCP Nagel or optimizing oh, no. the, uh, you know, uh, CLR uh, engine for garbage collection from workstation to server mode, for example. Yeah, yeah. So you're collecting this data and these timings and performances, but what's going to be done with the data once it's collected? So we intend to publish a document uh, which will define what patterns and uh, what switches and knobs you can turn around to uh, optimize the communication latency and throughput. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's very cool. So we're going to be able to have some good recommendations on you know what what is the best practices for each of the technologies. Yeah, I'm really interested in like what the conclusion is going to be. You know, if you're going to get to the end, be like. Yeah, you know, unless you're <laughs> really, really sensitive to like the latency and throughput, maybe it doesn't matter. But I'll also be interested if you're like, no, 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 this is like twice as fast. Because I know a lot of people will do REST and they'll do JSON and you have a, a this giant string format plus REST has all the this header information and mm -hmm. like it was never really designed to be very efficient. And if you put a JSON object in there, you're just repeating yourself every time you send that object. So I think this this could be this will be really interesting. I'm anticipating the results. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt it's going to be faster. Yeah. It's just a question of is it fast enough uh, to offset the additional work you have to do to implement it, right? Well, because the additional work and like the serialization, yeah. right? But I know that that should be pretty efficient. I would, assume. and actually, I guess the JSON serialization too is going to have a cost. So. Yeah, either way, you have to do serialization yeah, right. and serialization, so it's... Yeah, because this uses protobuf, right? Under it does, the, under that's the right. Under for the actual message, so... Okay, that's pretty cool. So, um, and then there's obviously, you know, we won't talk about the, the partner or the customer, but then there's a, there's a customer that will basically be giving the results to, and they'll take that into consideration. Absolutely. Uh, there's a large uh, manufacturing customer, which we are okay. working with, uh, and this will be uh, part of their larger IoT-based solution. Okay. Uh, and uh, we will have more feedback loop and uh, refinement uh, uh, on this solution when we go in there uh, with that customer. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Anything else you wanted to mention? I think we covered it pretty well. Okay. okay. Well, thank you for talking about your project. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, now we sat down with Sujit DeMello, who's working on an interesting project. Do you want to talk about your project? Yeah, sure, Jason. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you guys and to you, Carl, as well. So uh, I, in CSE, I focus a lot on the insurance companies. And auto insurance, as you know, one of the problems is that cars go bad and or get damaged and then they have to be fixed. And when the claims uh, agent goes out and takes pictures of the cars, they want to make sure that they get at least one picture of the VIN number mm -hmm. because that is the only thing that identifies that the set of pictures over there actually represents that specific car, which mm -hmm. belongs to the policyholder. And, and a VIN number is basically like a serial number for the car. It's a serial number, very unique. Mm -hmm. Every car in the world has unique numbers. So it's a 17-digit character, uh, alphanumeric character. But you're taking pictures in different lighting conditions. It could be you know, the windshield or a yep. flash. And so the challenge is being able to look at those pictures and making sure that one of them 
that the claims agent took, it actually belongs to a valid VIN number. And so what the project we did is to try and uh, use uh, Azure uh, custom vision to first figure out where in that image is a potential 17-digit character and uh, and then try to do use OCR to extract that set those 17 digits and then make sure that those 17 digits actually is a correct VIN number. And we do that by a secondary step is we check the check digit. One of the digits is a check digit in there. So we, we validate that check digit using some Python code. And then we also call out the National Transportation Highway Administration has, uh, of Safety Administration has a, a free website that you can call, a web service that you can call with VIN numbers. And it'll decode the VIN number and send it back to you. It'll tell you who the model, who the model is, the, the make, uh, manufacturer, et cetera. And so we call that as a double, as a, as an additional step to make sure that the VIN number that we extracted out of OCR is in fact correct. And only when all of those checks check out, that's when we come back and say, okay, this picture has a valid VIN number and this claim is good to go. So just to kind of step back and like, <clears throat> let me understand some of the scope of this. So the insurance agent takes all these pictures yes. and you analyze all of them. And I'm assuming that many yep. of them do not have a VIN exactly. number. Exactly. Some of them will not have VIN numbers, but one of them sh must have a VIN number. So that makes this really nice from an automation standpoint because then... At the end of the day, once you're successful, they submit all of their pictures and there's an automatic step that says, yes, you've got everything that you need. Exactly. Like mm. Maybe it could be a nightly process is one way to look at it. The other one is when in real time, when they're actually taking pictures, if they're uploading it, it can, when he says, okay, I'm done with my upload, it's going to tell them, oh, wait a minute, you didn't get a good one of the VIN number. Can you take one more? And, you know, so that could be more of a real-time thing, but you could also do it batch-wise where it just kind of goes in at night, checks all the claims for the day, and says, okay, you know, hey, flags a whole bunch of claims. Okay, these seven claims didn't have a good VIN number. Next morning, somebody will call the agent and say, hey, you got to go back and take these pictures and make sure it has a VIN number. Yeah, the thing that I really learned from the project was, um, you know, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really helping with the project, but I saw, I saw some of the work that was being done, is that there's... A lot of um, steps in like the image processing, like you can change like contrast and, and things mm -hmm. like that, but there's also like rotation and there's different types of VIN numbers and all, there's all this. And whenever you're doing anything with uh, like machine learning with images, really what you're doing is you're building different modules that sort of serve their own purpose and then you're stringing them together. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so we're, we're using Python as a kind of glue in this API to do it, but eventually the, uh, under the covers of Python's calling for us to custom version to get this bounded, uh, set up like a bounded box around uh, where the uh, VIN number may be, right? And we do that by first training the, uh, the, the, the custom vision program. We've supplied with a bunch of uh, VIN numbers ahead of time to train it and say, this is what you're looking for in different orientations. And because of that, it's able to now detect the ones that we provided to him to the, to the custom vision. Once we get that bounded box, the next kind of pipeline uh, item is to take that image, uh, which was that bounded box, and actually run an OCR on it. And you right, sometimes uh, it is uh, oriented incorrectly, so we make sure the orientation is right. We apply some filters, like gray filters, to allow the image to pop a little bit, the numbers to pop a bit, and try to blank out uh, some of the uh, reflection, if possible, so that the chances of the OCR are good. You know, OCR yeah. recognizing it. So there, yeah, we definitely have all those. We use OpenCV to in Python uh, the library to to do some of that analysis, 
And then it's a matter of so it's, it's good integration of Azure services plus some Python code plus some uh, available libraries in Python world. And then finally, that we have uh, we built a UI like uh, in a view.js uh, spy application just to provide like a nice front end to the whole thing where you can see here's all my images oh yeah I've got to check the you can go and you can just click an image and it'll go and run a it'll run the whole uh, process for you immediately tell me it takes two or three seconds to run each image right right and then you can also set up a process I know like one of the things we're talking about you have a lot of different pictures of VIN numbers and as you're like tweaking your algorithm then you can run the retraining those steps. one of the uh, the pipeline to to retrain it so as we get more pictures more different images and we say oh you know we never thought about somebody taking a picture like this or this particular barcode someone said they have a car that's very old it doesn't have 17 the, the VIN number is so oh, old really? it has less than 70 <laughs> it, from the it's a 73 Mustang that yeah. he has and it has only like uh, 12 characters or something, you know? Yeah. So we have to we have to account for those things as well. So, you know, this is just me not knowing anything about this domain and problem, but is there a standard to how, like, the font of a VIN number, no. uh, your color? So these could be anything. These so could be anything. You could also run into potential false images, like if this was a work vehicle that had, like, some sort of work ID that's yes. on there that happened to be 17. Yes. Exactly. If something that looks like a VIN number... We'll think it's a VIN number. I mean, we can't tell the difference. And those will probably, they'll fail when we do the VIN, VIN validation with the national yeah. transport. Or with uh, the check digit. Or yeah. with the check digit. One of those two will we'll kick it back and say, it just looked like a good VIN number, but it wasn't validated. You know, So we have got three stages. We've got, there's no, no, no proper VIN number, something that may be a VIN number, and something that is a VIN number. Those yeah. are the three other things. So Jason... I didn't realize this, but before we were having a conversation about VIN numbers, and you came up with, with something interesting, too, mm -hmm. with the vehicle that you have. Yeah, so, you know, basically I, I put it into like a VIN decoder, and it was showing the incorrect year. Instead of a 2018, it was showing it as a, 19, or a, a 1988, which mm. I, I'm, I can't quite figure out, but I'm wondering if they just don't have enough... Um, range for the years in that particular So one case. of the letters, so there's a letter, I think. That oh, it's a letter. Uh, yeah. So basically it only represents 26 years? The, uh, maybe. Okay. Maybe it only goes back that Well, point. yeah, I mean, if point. it's one letter that yeah. says the year, yeah. it can only represent yeah, that. Yeah, I think, I think that may be it, yeah. Interesting, yeah. So that, that would that would actually make uh, that make a lot of sense because it was a 40-year difference. Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a cool project. I mean, it seems right. sort of simple on the surface, but then, you know, you do have to run it through that, that pipeline. And, yeah. Um, but I like that you, the algorithm can know reasonably sure if it found it. I mean, yes. the odds of you, like, getting past all of those steps and be like, yep, that's a valid VIN number, but that wasn't the right one yeah. is like extremely low. So it it's is. nice that it knows whenever it's done. Yes. Yeah. I think this is something that will help all insurance companies as they go do their claims processing. You know, it helps uh, make the claims processing faster. Uh, so better customer service. Uh, it, um, it reduces the possibility of liability because just in case, you know, you, you were dealing with a car that didn't belong to the right policy holder. Uh, so there's a, a lot of business use cases for that in, amongst all the insurance companies. Absolutely. And then uh, it, it's uh, you have your own podcast, don't you? I do, yeah. Thanks for mentioning that, Jason. <laughs> yes. So uh, me and a couple of uh, folks uh, like, from Like from 50 Microsoft. other people. <laughs> no, you have a yeah. lot of hosts. Yeah, we have about six hosts uh, together, including myself. Uh, we have the Azure podcast. We focus a little more on Azure. Mm -hmm. uh, specific items could be, you know, all the new stuff happening in Azure. Typically, we, were, we try and get some of the product team folks in there. We get uh, folks, uh, we've had folks from CSC actually on there. Mm -hmm 
quite a bit recently, talking about some of the work they did with Oracle, OpenShift, uh, some of our partners. So yeah, it's uh, thanks for thanks for bringing that up. But yeah, it's yeah. it's been great. We've been doing it for about five years now, yeah. and uh, we keep plugging away. But yeah, yeah, you guys, you know, uh, best <laughs> of luck to, to your very very successful uh, podcast with the MS yeah. Dev Show. It's been great. Uh, I have the stickers and everything on my yeah, laptop. So. Yeah, we'll definitely include a, a, a link to the podcast in the show notes because what really impressed me is there's six hosts, but like, you know, I was wondering like, you know, are there a couple that kind of pull the weight of the other people? But they are every single one is like super strong in their own area. They are all and yes, it's and amazing. They, it's know, really amazing. It's really been a way for them also to to get better at public speaking. Uh, yeah. You know, and, uh, and be confident when you when you talk on an internet show. And in fact, advantage of having six PS six uh, co-hosts is that. We're not all uh, committed to being there. Like if you know, be, yeah. we all have other jobs that we do, and so sometimes if we have a meeting or somebody else is in the meeting, we just just there's going to be two or three at, yeah. at least that are on the show. That's so that's what we really ask for is that at least two or three of us uh, on every episode, and we do uh, one episode every week. So uh, the cadence is pretty strong. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about your project. You're welcome. Great. Thanks, uh, Carl and Jason, for having me on. <laughs>